0: Hello to all you amazing Mets fans You're listening to Locked On Mets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. To get this show every day, follow us wherever you get your podcasts. You can also tell your smart device to play Podcast Locked On Mets. On today's show, going to talk about the Mets series split against the Phillies over the weekend. In the first segment, I want to focus on the Phillies. We saw a lot of sloppy defense a really bad bullpen. They cost themselves an opportunity to beat the first place Mets in this series, if not sweep them. And really, I think it shows the difference between these two teams that the Mets were able to win within the margin. So we'll talk about that early on. In the second segment though, I want to focus on the Mets shortcomings, how the offense continues to struggle and let some great pitching performances fall by the wayside. So we'll get into that a little bit. Then finally, in the last segment Going to do a mailbag Monday as I answer some of your questions off of Twitter. I'll also update you on the latest injury news when it comes to this Mets team. Before we get to any of that, though, I'm your host, Ryan Finkelstein. If you want to find any of my work, follow me on Twitter, at FinkelsteinRyan. You can also find some of my writing about the Mets at MetsMoraisOnline.com. And if you're the type of baseball fan that can't help but get giddy over prospects, we have the podcast for you. Locked on MLB Prospects, hosted by minor league play-by-play voice Aram Layton, is the only daily podcast devoted entirely to the stars of tomorrow. Follow Locked on MLB Prospects on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. So this was a really weird series between the Mets and the Phillies because I could sit here and make an argument that the Mets should have won every game or they should have won the series. But I also can sit back and make an argument for the Phillies in the same way. Neither team played a good series here. The Phillies, in some respects, should have won a lot more of these games if not for terrible execution at the end and some really bad pitching from their bullpen. And the Mets took advantage of that. So it's a credit to the Mets for coming through in some big spots at the end of games. It is a real knock on the Phillies that they had an opportunity in the middle of their season. As we heard from Dan Wilson on Friday shows we previewed this series, the host of Locked On Phillies talking about the importance of a series like this when they only play the Mets six more times this season. They had their chance in a four-game series to not only win it, but maybe even sweep the Mets. And they continue to come up short. And I think that is the big difference between these two teams. And you, know, you can talk a lot about Francisco Lindor and his impact and the slow start he's had offensively. To me, there is something about the culture that has been built And that maybe starts at the top with ownership and it trickles down. And Rojas deserves a lot of credit as a manager. But I think Francisco Lindor is simply a winner. He's been on winning teams his entire career out in Cleveland. I think he's brought that to the Mets. So they are not in their heads in big spots worrying. They are taking these opportunities when they have them and they're grasping them and they're winning these games and they're celebrating these wins. And I think that there is just a completely different vibe with what's going on in the Mets clubhouse as opposed to the Phillies clubhouse. And we can get into each individual game, and I will in a minute, but I think there's one play that kind of symbolizes everything we saw from the Phillies in this series. And that was on Sunday, in the final game, Francisco Lindor in the first inning hits a pop-up out to left field, and no Philly goes after it with any aggression or any intent to make a play on the ball. Ends up bouncing over the wall for a double, and... Not the the back wall or talking about a sidewall. It wasn't a hard hit ball by any stretch, but it was the lack of aggression by the Phillies to make a big play, to try to get a win. It just doesn't seem like that's a team that's pulling together. They've had their injuries for sure, but the guys that step in aren't stepping into a clubhouse that is welcoming and pushing everyone towards playing together as a team. And that's the big difference here. And so that's why the Mets end up winning two games that, honestly, they had no business winning, if you go through it. In the first game of the doubleheader on Friday, Aaron Nola absolutely deserved to get a victory. He goes out, in the first inning, hits Jeff McNeil, then gives up a double to Francisco Lindor, and from that point on, he strikes out 10 consecutive Mets, tying Tom Seaver's record, the only two pitchers in MLB history to have 10 consecutive strikeouts, Jacob DeGrom has flirted with that record a couple of times, never quite tied it, so that's a remarkable accomplishment. Nola also offensively ends up picking up two hits in the game and gets an RBI double against Walker, did everything he could have. But in the sixth inning, Joe Girardi goes to the bullpen, gets Jose Alvarado for a five-out save with the Phillies winning by a score of one to nothing. Alvarado gets through the sixth inning, but in the seventh, Things start to fall apart. He makes a throwing error that allows Louis Guillorme to get to second base to start off that inning. Albert Amora and Jeff McNeil fail to get the runner in, but Francisco Lindor gets the clutch hit. That sends the game to extras. Seth Lugo strikes out three Phillies to get through with that inherited or the ghost runner to start in the extra innings. The Mets have an opportunity to win by just scoring a single run with that ghost runner starting on second. The Phillies intentionally walk Pete Alonso to get to Dominic Smith. Dominic Smith kind of baits them into thinking he's bunting, ends up getting a base hit, and the Mets get a victory there. A stolen victory that the Phillies probably should have had if their bullpen was good or if they did not throw the ball away as Alvarado did defensively. Then you go to Game 2. David Peterson allows a solo homer to Bryce Harper, That was all he gave up. He was great through six innings. We'll talk about him a little bit more in the next segment. But once again, you get to the end of a game. The Phillies are trying to protect a one-run lead in the final inning, and they make an error, which allows the Mets to get a rally going. They ultimately score on a sacrifice fly by James McCann. And then, of course, they are unable to do more than that. They had a bases loaded situation with one out. You can kind of... Nitpick that the Mets should have won that game, but ultimately, again, you go back to the Phillies making the mistake that puts the Mets in that advantageous position. They don't completely grasp onto it. You get to the extra innings, the Phillies win that one. Okay, good for them, bad for the Mets, but what we're getting at is a repeated pattern. The Phillies continue to let the Mets have these opportunities because of their mistakes. You go to the third game of this series. The Mets had Jacob deGrom on the mound. He shows he's human. Gives up two runs in six innings pitch. Only had five strikeouts. What would have been a nice start for any other pitcher on the planet for deGrom. It's his worst start of the year. But the Phillies have a 2-1 to lead against Jacob deGrom going into the seventh inning. That is a huge accomplishment for them. If you had told them going into the game you'd be in that position. They absolutely would have taken it. But what happens? Once again, it's the bullpen that falters. Zach Eflin was great in that game through six. Seventh inning, the bullpen comes on. Kevin Pillar ties the game with a home run. In the ninth inning, the Phillies scratch a run against Edwin Diaz. But in the bottom of the inning, Travis Blankenhorn gets on because of an error. Billy McKinney draws a walk. Kevin Pillar gets a base hit to load the bases with no outs. Luis Giorme ties the game, battling back from down one and two in the count to draw a walk that scores a run. Francisco Lindor strikes out but Michael Conforto, gets the walk-off sacrifice fly, and once again, there is celebration going on at Citi Field. And I credit the Mets for sure for taking advantage of these opportunities. But if you're a Phillies fan, if you're Joe Girardi, you're looking at these games and you carried a lead late in every single one. So when I am looking at the rest of this season, I just can't see the Phillies being in this division for the long run. I just don't see them flipping a script. I don't care if Diego Gregorius and Gene Segura comes back. It's about the culture. It's about what's going on, whether it is because of Girardi, whether it is the front office, whether it is the combination of players. They don't believe that they can win. Otherwise, in the first inning of the final game of that series, with your ace on the mound and Zach Wheeler, you're going to be going balls out to make a catch on a pop fly off the bat of Francisco Lindor. You're not going to be just kind of watching it. And that's the difference between these two teams. And so while the Mets played a really bad brand of baseball throughout this entire series, they come out pretty much unscathed. They got two wins, could have been better, could have been worse, but they can roll over into the next series still feeling good about themselves. And I think that's the big difference between this team and the rest of the teams in this division. With all that said, though, the Mets bats gotta wake up. They gotta start hitting. Gonna talk about that more in just a minute. Do you love to order fish when you go out to eat but never make it for yourself at home? Cooking restaurant-quality dishes at home starts with high-quality seafood and simple techniques from Wild Alaskan Seafood. Wild Alaskan Company delivers high-quality, sustainably sourced, wild-caught seafood right to your door. Choose from salmon, whitefish, or a combination And each shipment contains premium, wild-caught, individually-wrapped portions of delicious seafood that's ready to prepare and easy to cook. Wild Alaskan Company Seafood is how nature intended it to be. Always wild, never farmed or modified, and it contains no antibiotics. You can adjust, pause, or cancel your membership anytime, and they offer 100% satisfaction guaranteed or your money back. And right now you can get $15 off your first box of premium seafood when you visit wildalaskancompany.com slash MLB. That's wildalaskancompany.com slash MLB for $15 off your first box. Make sure to use our URL to let them know that we sent you. That's wildalaskancompany.com slash MLB. This weekend was more of the same for the Mets as they got great pitching and no hitting. Taiwan Walker gave them 5 innings, 1 run allowed. David Peterson, 6 innings, only 1 run allowed. He has now turned in 3 great starts in a row. That is a huge development for this team if they get this version of Peterson who can go out, give him some length, be a very solid 4 starter for this team so they have that going for them. Jacob deGrom was not quite his usual self. But still great. You look at the bullpen. Edwin Diaz was the only reliever to allow an earned run in this series. Over 14 innings pitched. Marcus Stroman was the only pitcher that really struggled. Gave up four earned runs over three innings on Sunday. But Corey Oswalt picks him up with four scoreless innings. Drew Smith pitched two scoreless innings in that game. So you look at the whole picture there. The Mets sure were down 4-0 early. But there's no reason they can't get back in that game. That's not a insurmountable deficit that you just can't possibly claw your way out of. You do have to credit Zach Wheeler on the other side for pitching a great game. But the overall point stands, the Mets continue to get great pitching, which puts them in these close games where they can have just enough offense to kind of come across the finish line and get some victories late, but they are not beating teams early, which at some point you got to do, and they are not seeing any level of consistency from their lineup. The Mets scored nine runs in this series. Only four of them were earned runs to the Phillies pitching staff. Five runs were the result of Philly errors. I mean, that just tells you the level of inept offense that we saw. Michael Conforto went 0 for 10. He's still feeling his way off the injury list. I'm not going to be criticizing him just yet, but just to kind of understand the function of the lineup, you had Conforto go 0 for 10. Jeff McNeil went 0 for 12. Now Conforto had the sacrifice fly during a couple of walks. McNeil just had a really bad series. Overall, I expect both of them to bounce back and once they get their feet wet, start to hit. But right now, these are guys that are going to be in your lineup every day. They have to get hot soon or this team's going to continue to struggle. You have Dominic Smith, went 2-for-11 with a walk drawn. That was it. Uh, James McCann, 2-for-13, struck out 6 times in those 13 at-bats. Louis Guillaume, 1-for-12, did draw 3 walks and a couple in big spots, but overall, not the offensive production you would like and not necessarily what Jonathan Villar was providing the Mets before he went on the IL. Then you get to Francisco Lindor, he had a pretty solid series, 4-for-16 with some big hits. And then Pete Alonzo was good, 6-for-14, drew two walks, so a five hundred on base percentage, yet no home runs. And it's hard to say, hey, Pete, you have to hit a home run in this series. I understand it's not easy to drive him out of the ballpark, especially with the dead in baseball, but he's only at 11 home runs, and we're almost at the all-star break. Last season, he had 16 home runs in a 60-game schedule. The year before, I think he was leading the National League in home runs by the time we got to the All-Star break. So that is a big difference from the Pete Alonso that you expect. Now, it was a good series, but overall, where is the power going to come in? And then you have Kevin Pillar, who was maybe the best man in this series. He had two home runs, went three for 10. He is now third on the team with his eight home runs this season. And if anyone had that, When we were in spring training, I do not believe you that Kevin Pillar, as we almost get to July, will be third on the team in home runs. But then when you say, oh, it's with eight home runs, you'd be like, okay, well, I guess that makes a little bit more sense. But where's the rest of the team where there's only two guys in double digits or is Lindor at nine right now? Regardless, this team needs more power. I mean, we've been saying it week after week after week. Someone's got to find a way to drive the baseball with some authority, and if not, how are you going to put runs on the board? I mean, this is the way the game is played now. It is live or die with the home run ball, and as much as we can talk about the big decline in home runs from the juiced ball era of 2019 and I guess 2020, there are guys around the league who are in the 20s in home runs. There's a lot of guys who are still finding ways to get their home runs, and no one on the Mets is doing that and that has really been one of the biggest problems for this team throughout the season that we haven't had to discuss too much because they keep on winning. But recently, the Mets have not been winning at that same clip. They've been splitting series instead of winning series, and I'm not saying I'm concerned about this team, but what I will say is if you are going to be this juggernaut that can roll through the NLEs, go into the playoffs, and make a deep run, you gotta do it in every facet. It can't just be pitching and defense. Pitching and defense will get you very far. I think it is more important to have great pitching and defense than it is to have a great offense when it comes to winning in October, but you have to have at least a little bit of both. And right now, the Mets, just as an offensive team, have been, I mean, the worst in baseball. They gotta be better. Now the return of Brandon Nemo is certainly gonna help things, and that could be coming very soon. I'm going to give you some injury updates and go through our Mailbag Monday segment in just a minute. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. With so many amazing flavors to choose from, like the Caramel Brownie Bar, Cookies and Cream, Cherry barcia, Lemon Almond Cheesecake, Carrot Cake, or the Apple Almond Crisp. These really are protein bars that taste like candy bars. They come covered in 100% chocolate, they're soft, they're easy to chew, and they're healthy. Built bars come low in calorie, low in sugar, but they are high in protein and high in fiber. If you want to try Built Bar today, go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCK15 to get 15% off your next order. That's promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Before I take some of your questions as part of a Mailbag Monday segment, let's go through some injury updates. Brandon Nimmo should return to the lineup on Tuesday, according to Luis Rojas. J.D. Davis will be starting a rehab assignment this week. He has been out since April with that hand injury that has had multiple setbacks. So we'll see if he can get the rehab assignment healthy this time and return to the lineup before the All-Star break. The Mets are optimistic he will. Then you get to... Jonathan Villar, Tomas Nido, Injuries Familia, all guys who recently went on the IL. they're all expected to have short rehab stints in Syracuse and then return, hopefully when they are all eligible and not much later after that. The final bit of news is that Carlos Carrasco is finally throwing off of the slope. Not quite the mound just yet. He's not throwing bullpens, but he's throwing off the front of the mound, which shows you that the hamstring is starting to heal enough that he can deal with a little bit of extra pressure. He was only throwing off flat grounds up to this point, so that is a step in the right direction. Still no timetable on when he's going to return, but you got to figure it would be at some point in July as long as he doesn't have any more setbacks from here. Now let's go through some of the questions here for a mailbag Monday. I want to start doing this every week on Sunday. We'll put out a tweet that you guys can respond to, asking me some questions, and I will... Talk about them on Monday's show. The first one comes from Jeff Cohen. He says, Mets average a league low in runs per game, yet have a positive run differential. Pitching must keep it up, and the offense must come around. How about some small ball in lieu of waiting for the three-run homer? Now this is an interesting question because it goes against analytics. Small ball is not common anymore because the analytics tell you that it's easier to hit a three-run homer than to tack on a run three times throughout the course of a game. So while that's the strategy behind it, and that's why teams are swinging for the fences, I do think that small ball is still something that you have to take advantage of when the opportunities present themselves. Believe when Michael Conforto hit that walk-off sacrifice fly, it was only the ninth sacrifice fly the Mets have had this season. That is crazy that they're not in double digits and well beyond that when you're almost halfway through a season, you got to get that runner home from third when there's less than two outs. It's just that simple. And so situational hitting needs to be improved upon. You have got to be able to do the little things. And I think that there has been a good amount of success for the Mets in winning within the margins. Like I've talked about, they have been better at base running this year. They're more aggressive. They have more aggressive base runners on the roster in general with Jonathan Villar and Francisco Lindor and Kevin Pillar. So that has helped. Overall, though, if you're going to win big in the regular season nowadays, you got to hit the home run ball. So you have to do both. Now our next question from Cesar Cortez kind of plays right into this. He asks, any plans on getting a power bat? I think that it is certainly a nice idea. I just don't know where you squeeze that bat in with the players that are currently on this roster. Pete Alonzo, Jeff McNeil... Francisco Lindor, none of them are moving out of their everyday spots. In the outfield, I'd say the same for Brandon Nemo, Michael Conforto behind the plate, James McCann going to be your catcher, Tomas Nato will be the backup, Kevin Pillar will be the fourth outfielder. That narrows it down to two spots, Dominic Smith in left and third base where you have a huge group of guys with VR, JD Davis, and Luis Guillerme. Where do you fit in that bat? Do you look at third base and say, well, vr has been good, but he's not quite a middle-of-the-order bat that we want. J.D. Davis, good bat. Is he going to be healthy because he hasn't been this year? And what's that defense going to look like? Because he has not been good in the past. You have Guillorme, who gets on base a ton and provides great defense, but isn't providing that pop. That is one place they can look, and I don't know who will be available. Is Eugenio Suarez available from the Reds? Did I just say Agenio Suarez? Because I like saying Agenio. Maybe. Maybe. Um Chris Bryant, that pipe dream seems to be a a bigger pipe dream than it was at the beginning of the season, so I don't think that's gonna happen. I don't know who's available. I really don't. Um and I don't know who fits. You go to left field with Dominic Smith. He has been better with the glove than we could have expected. I don't think he is an albatross or a An anchor, I guess would be a better word to say, out there defensively anymore. I think he's about average. So that's been a great development. But offensively, he has not been the player he was last year that pushed the Mets to not address that position this offseason because they wanted to make sure they can get his bat into the lineup. So if he continues to struggle throughout July as you get to the deadline, does the front office look at each other and say, you know, Maybe we should get a guy that could potentially replace Dom out in left field who can maybe be even a little bit better defensively and give you a little bit more pop. I think that is certainly a possibility. Overall, I think the Mets' best bet is to find someone that has that versatility that can address their base in left field, whether that's Joey Gallo, where you get a guy who still has another year of control after this season, brings a big left-handed power bat, also brings a ton of strikeouts, but... A guy that can play third, can play left, can play center if you really wanted him to, can play right. He could fit because of that versatility and because he would bring a certain level of pop the Mets. Don't have a ton of outside of Pete Alonzo. That is an option. Another one would be going to Pittsburgh for a guy like Brian Reynolds who's having a great season. That would be the type of guy that could really improve the ceiling of this team. But I also don't know what it costs to get Brian Reynolds. Because I'm trying to see how many years of control does he have left. He is a player that I think is going to cost maybe a blue chip prospect or two. Because he's just been so good this year. He's batting 311. His worst 3.4. 13 home runs. He would be leading the Mets. Brian Reynolds at 6'3", 210 pounds. He does not seem like your typical power hitter. But he's doing a lot of that this year. He is under team control through 2025. So, yeah, if the Pirates decide to put him out there on the block, they're going to get a lot for him. So that is the tough debate here, and that leads in to another question we got. This one's from Alcoholics Autonomous on Twitter. At least that's what he goes by. He asks, which of the Mets prospects are the most untouchable as far as trading is concerned? At the deadline, the Mets are going to have to decide if they are a World Series caliber team that should go all-in and what does going all-in mean. And if you talk about the untouchable prospects, right at the top of my head I say Matthew Allen and JT Jin should not be traded because the Mets have gutted their entire farm system under Bernie Van Wagenen when it comes to top flight starting pitchers. You need to keep those guys. You need to have some arms in the pipeline that have frontline starter potential and those two guys are Certainly fit that billing. Francisco Alvarez and Brett Beatty are certainly untouchables as well. They're both in the middle of some monster seasons with the Brooklyn Cyclones, so you can't trade them. Pete Kerr Armstrong, I would say, is probably still an untouchable. He did get hurt for the season, but I think other teams would be interested as he is a potential five-tool center fielder. But the Mets don't have a lot of that in their farm system, so I would not trade him. Ronnie Mauricio is maybe the tipping point not having the best season, he has a 696 OPS, but a guy with all the tools and potential to really generate a ton of interest on the market. But because the Mets have Francisco Lindor, a little bit easier to trade a budding shortstop prospect if it's for the right deal, and I'm talking about a blockbuster massive deal that's going to put the Mets over the top. I would not trade him, but I'd be more open to trading him than the other guys I've mentioned so far. And then you get to Mark Vientos, who I've talked about a lot this season as the prospect you could trade that would really hurt but might put you in that position to swing a big deal. And if that is the case, Vientos is certainly doing the Mets a favor with a torrid stretch right now. He has 12 home runs this season. He hit five this past week, nine in his last 12 games. He is absolutely tearing the cover off the ball in Binghamton. So that is a prospect that I think the Mets would like to hang on to, but because they have Brett Beatty coming up behind him, you have that flexibility to say maybe you move him in the right package. Which takes us to our last question, also from Alcoholics Autonomous, where he says, would you be happy if Jared Eikhoff is our fifth starter past the deadline? Short answer, no. Jared Eikhoff, to me, is perfect in the role he has right now. As a guy who's sitting in AAA waiting for you, a veteran, who can fill in for a couple of weeks when there's an injury. Lucchese goes down, Eikhoff steps in, and you hope that Carrasco can take that ball from Eikhoff in the near future, hopefully on the other end of the All-Star break. And if that's the case, Eikhoff then goes back to Syracuse as your insurance policy again. For a lot of teams, Eikhoff is a suitable fifth starter. But if you're really trying to win big, you need a little bit better. And also, when Eikhoff is called into your rotation... That means the depth behind him is very thin, as we just saw Tyler McGill make his MLB debut before he was probably done developing entirely in the minor leagues. So I think because David Peterson has really improved, the Mets can continue to ride this thing out with Jared Eikhoff until they know more about Carlos Carrasco, but that decision at the deadline hinges more on what Carrasco's availability will be rather than how Eikhoff pitches, over the next couple of weeks. Even if I cough is great, if Carrasco is not coming back, the Mets are going to be in the market to add another starting pitcher. Anyway, make sure next week you contribute to the Mailbag Monday segment. It might be two segments if we get more questions. So make sure you keep your eyes out for that. That's going to be all for today's edition of Locked on Mets. As always, thank you for listening. Make sure you follow, rate, and review wherever you get your podcast. Make sure you follow me on Twitter, at Finkelstein Ryan. Follow the show at Locked on Mets. And if you want to get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes, check out the Locked on Today podcast. Hosted by Peter Bukowski, Locked on Today updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked on Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts.